Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, this is Six Degrees with Mike McKenna, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. This episode, I'm joined by former NHL goaltender and three-time Stanley Cup champion as goaltending coach of the Detroit Red Wings, Jim Bedard. If you enjoy this show, please subscribe and rate on iTunes, Spotify, and all the streaming channels. You can always find me on the socials at Mike McKenna 56 And hey, football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and the NHL, those are all in full swing. The only place you should be betting on these sports is at betonline.ag. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, reality TV. Man, you can bet on the Housewives. You can bet on the Emmys, the Grammys. You tip, man, you can bet on anything. Go to BetOnline.ag. They'll take care of you. BetOnline has hundreds of props with real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine. Of course, that 24-hour online casino, it's always open. It never closes. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And now on to the show. Jim Bedard, one of my favorite people in hockey. Enjoy. Jim, thanks so much for taking a little bit of time. How are you doing today? Thanks for joining me. Oh, I'm great, Mike. Just uh, battling through this thing that the whole world's battling through and just hoping that uh, there's more good news around the corner with, uh, with the vaccines and, and that. And the spring's coming and there's a lot of optimism in the air. Hopefully we get back to a, what, what we thought was halfway to normal. You know what's nice, though? It gives us an opportunity to do things like this. Carve out an hour of time, talk on Zoom, hang out with old friends. Mm-hmm. and I, and it's for us man it's 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 amazing to think of only having one year together working but old friends and I suspect it's been like that for your whole career you know you leave an impression on the people that you work with I want to dig back to the very beginning of things and I want to find out why you became a goaltender born in 1956 Niagara Falls mm-hmm. goalies didn't wear masks but back then when you were a kid they were looked at as a little crazy so what put it in you that you wanted to play the position well the reason it started is I had an older brother that was two years older, but we were both the, both the same size. He, maybe he was an inch taller, but about the same weight. And for me to hang around with older brother and play street hockey, it was like, get in net, get in net. If you want to hang around here, you're getting in there. So I got the baseball glove and a, like a forward glove and a whatever stick. We used to have, we used to have sticks that had no blades on them. We called them toothpicks. And so you'd have to go in net what we called the toothpick. It had no blade on it. But it was something to hold on to, and you could sweep pucks away or, or tennis balls away. And when they got frozen, they would really leave a mark, those tennis balls. You'd have a welt on you. It's like getting hit with a squash ball in the wintertime, frozen. It's not a lot of fun. But uh, so that, that's how it really started, playing out on the street and in the driveways. And it was a different time. And you, you, played, you played hockey, and then as soon as the, you couldn't play hockey anymore, you went right into baseball. And when baseball was ending, you went right back into hockey. And Obviously, the world has changed a million different ways since then, and the kids have so much to do. In fact, there's almost a push to get people to play other sports because the kids end up playing hockey 11 and a half months a year, and they're worried about burnout. And yeah, I know you hear parents say, oh, but he likes it. He likes it. Well, if he doesn't know any different, well, you got to give him a chance to experience baseball, golf, soccer, and that. And if he's an athlete and he's a hockey player, it's going to happen one way or the other. It's not going to be one thing that's going to like sometimes too much is just too much. But uh, anyway, like 
So then my father was a city bus driver in Niagara Falls and the buses at the time, the Niagara Falls junior hockey team playing in the Ontario league against Kitchener Rangers, uh, Toronto Marlboros, uh, Hamilton Red Wings. And that, uh, I'm so old that uh, there was affiliations. So Oshawa and Niagara Falls belonged to Boston. So I remember going and watching Bobby Orr playing an exhibition game against the Niagara Falls team when he was about 14-ish, a little wow. brush cut. And my brother saying to me, that guy's going to be really good. I, I've heard of this guy. He's going to be really something. Like, so then I remember the only other player he thought was really special was years later was Dennis Potvin. He goes, this guy here, he's like 15 years old. He's playing against these 20 year old guys and he's just a beast. Watch this guy. So they were the only two guys he told me to really pay attention to. And he was dead on with both of them. So my dad drove, drove a city bus getting back to that. And at the time, every bus in the city, the games were starting at those days on Friday nights at 8 p.m. Every bus from six o'clock on, all the different routes would go to Niagara Falls Arena. And after the game, all the buses would be outside. You jump back on your bus and you went back to your neighborhood. And that's how it works. So with all these, they called it the Flyer Special. So the Niagara Falls Flyers, all the, all the buses were lined up. It was, it was awesome. And it was just, that's what we did. And it was the greatest thing. The rink had about 3,600 people in it in Niagara Falls. And I remember my dad would be there because he would get in because he was a bus driver. So all the bus drivers would sit together and we would sit up on the pop machine up in the corner because we were small because it was three or four deep on the rail. You couldn't see anything. So we found a way to jump up and get up on the pop machine so we could watch. But Mikey, the goalies that were playing at the time, like in Niagara Falls alone, like I remember clear as a bell watching Bernie Perrant play major junior. Man. And his backup that couldn't, couldn't get in the net a lot until Bernie was gone was Dougie Favelle. So you got Perron and Favelle playing, and then all the goalies that would come in, like they'd all be prospects for the Maple Leafs, obviously the Marlies and uh, Kitchener Rangers would have like New York Ranger prospects. And uh, it, it was, uh, it was incredible to watch, watch these guys come in and play. And there was no glass on the side and it was just chicken wire, like fence. And you had to make sure and warm up. Like you didn't have your fans anywhere near the fence because you'd get, you'd you get a hell of a whack on the because the pucks were flying in and it was uh and you know the fans would hang over the boards and let's go flyers let's go the pounding away and the whole place just had a pulse to it you know it was amazing and Derek Sanderson was there as a player and I remember watching Eddie Westfall and uh there's so just so many NHL players went through the Niagara Falls system of uh and then obviously in 1967 the draft was uh brought in and that all changed so but growing up, that's the guys I uh, I used to go down and watch at the rink when I was 9, 10, 11 years old. That's so a big see, impression. You see these guys play who end up being legends down the road. And I mean, from Bobby Orr to Favelle to Perron, what was your equipment like when you first hopped in the cage? I mean, how did you get over that? I mean, you get out there in pads that are nothing compared to what they are today. But was it just as easy to still enjoy the position, even when the pucks hurt at times? Well... The, the thing with the equipment was it was like if you, you played minor hockey and you'd have to take off your belly pad, your pads, and your gloves, and you put them to the side. And soon as after you were done, whoosh, they were gone to the next hour. And then they would go whoosh off to the next hour. And then <laughs> it would start all over again. So by time, depending on what time you played, younger kids played earlier. 
and whatever. As you got older, the stuff got wetter and wetter. Because it, it would absorb was, so much water back then. Oh, my God. Like, I remember not having arm pads till I was about in Bantam. And I was, the guys were starting to lift the puck. And I said yeah. to my dad, we came home from practice in the car. I said, dad, I got to get these arm pads. And he asked me, he goes, do you think you really need them? We had six kids in our family. It wasn't a lot of extra recreational dollars for stuff like that. And he had never really had a background playing hockey, but did everything. And then some to support all our dreams and wishes. And uh, so I remember getting, I went from having like no arm pads to having that one of those first one piece belly pad combo like moon suit we called it like and i'm like i went from like being able to fly around to all of a sudden being like the michelin man i'm like this this sucks i want to be able to move so i went back to having no arm pads got hit again i said that's it that's all i'm over i'm done let's get those back on yeah, <laughs> you so, had to find a happy medium with it <laughs> yeah but there was only one time i think i i didn't wear a mask like when i was I was born in 56, so like early 62, 63, when I was playing minor hockey to start, there was, uh, we, we started wearing masks and they weren't very good, but it was something. And it's it, it obviously the way, the way the equipment's evolved, it has to because the way the sticks are these days, that uh, it's basically like they went from wooden bats to aluminum bats. Yeah. The hockey sticks have gone the composite that, like I'm just watching the highlights from the games last night in the NHL. Some of the shots with hardly any backswing, the torque, like the goalies positionally have to be, it's so important to get out and get yourself be a big target because these guys are just snapping these bit pucks, man. Wow. Crazy. It's amazing to see how, I mean, just the sticks, the strength, everything you've got guys that are 170 pounds that can lean on these things and shoot at 105. That wasn't happening even oh. 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, at your point in your youth amazing. hockey, when did you think, you know, maybe I've got a shot at this? You, know, you get to Sudbury Wolves, things start to roll. Were you thinking at that point, maybe the NHL was in your sights? Mm, I wasn't really thinking about that as much as that. I, if I could just, I don't know. I kind of like lived in the moment. I was just uh, like, we had, we had some great teams like, we had Mikey Foligno, Randy Carlisle, Dave mm. Farish, Rod Shutt, Ron Duguay as was a year younger as was Mike Foligno was. Like I, Mike did Foligno anybody have better hair than Ron Duguay? No, 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 no. Ronnie, Ronnie was. He's talking about beating him off with the stick. That's Ronnie. He was, uh, he was, he was very popular, and uh, he was like the Bon Jovi of his time. Yes, he does. the feathered hair. Oh, it's a perfect oh. analogy. Yeah, he was, uh, Ron was a great guy. And I actually ran into him a few years ago. We played a old timers game over in, over in Europe and uh, Ronnie was part of the group. So it was great to catch up to Ron. It's great. Yeah. That's the thing about hockey. You see guys, if you hadn't seen them in years and years, and it's like you pick up right where you left off. And, you know, it's just, that's just the nature of uh, the friendships that develop in hockey and sports. Well, we've, we've shared something special. You've been in the locker room together. You've battled together. I mean, you dig back in your career and you got people from the seventies that, like you said, it's just like being in the room again. I, everybody I talk to says that about certain periods in their life and that it's so cool to be able to have that bond still that you just slip right back into that locker room about how, you know, remember when this guy did this, remember when this guy fell down the stairs, remember when this guy topic did the blue light, right? <laughs> we all have those memories. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, that's, that's true. It's uh, it's the fraternity that it, it's, it's not a, we always used to say like stay out of real life as long as you can like real life isn't going anywhere you're never going to have as much fun as when you're in a team environment and if you have success in that team environment 
that makes it double and triple the bond is strong going forward. So it's a great thing. I've never really asked this to anyone. The dynamic between the WHA and the NHL at that time, like you're drafted by both in the same year in 1976. Mm-hmm. What was that like? You know, like, was there a point where people had to make a decision on which route they were going to go? What were the pros and cons to each league at the time? Well, that's a great question. Like uh, I was drafted by Edmonton. The only goalie they picked, albeit was the 10th round. I was the only goalie that they picked. And I, I, can't, I think they must have the draft sometime in the spring after the, Avco Cup that was the name of the trophy at the time but uh, for the WHA and like I didn't hear a thing I just someone told me said your name's on the list for Edmonton you get the only goalie they picked so I they said, didn't even okay, send you well, a gift package uh, no so <laughs> fast forward to the late no no t-shirts no, no hats it was, I was swag free <laughs> so there uh, later in the summer I was I was working at a little hockey camp in, in the falls for local kids. And uh, the arena, the arena Zamboni guy said to me, you have a telephone call. It was an Italian guy. Marcel, his name was an awesome guy. He said, he had, he, this, this guy used to answer the phone, arena, hello. So we were so bored. We used to sometimes call just to hear him say that. That's how bored we were. That was our entertainment. Arena, hello. So he, Marcel says, you phone call back. So now I'm in, I'm in the engine room of the Niagara Falls arena on my tippy toes on my goalie skates. Cause there's no thing. He goes, phone call, important, important. So I go on the back, I pick up the phone. I come off the ice and it's, it's uh Bep Gridlin, the, the general manager. I don't know if he was the coach. I think he was the GM of the Oilers at the time. And this was about three or four days before I was going to go to Washington's camp. And uh, he says to me, Hey kid, we drafted you. We want you to come to camp. And there was a player that played on our team in, in junior, Bob Russell, who got drafted by Edmonton. And the problem at the time was, Mike, there was no farm system because the NHL basically controlled all the farm teams. So mm-hmm. there was like these funny rogue leagues, like, like I guess they'd be equivalent to Southern Pro or even worse type things. And so like if you didn't make the big team and a lot of these teams, because they had to sell tickets, they had older experienced name players, even if they were on the way on the downside of their careers, they had to have these type of guys to try to attract revenue and whatnot. So we had a player, Bobby Russell, who was a hell of a player and he got drafted by LA and he ended up going to Edmonton and he ended up getting just lost in the shuffle because there was no real development program for him. And, but you know, at the time for some guys, it was the right thing. And for some other guys, it gave opportunity to a lot of guys who maybe wouldn't have had a chance in the NHL, but I got a chance to play big league, big league hockey, WHA style. So it's a way that was kind of the difference. So is that kind of what guided you to going towards signing with Washington, heading towards that route because it had a developmental system to it? Well, even then, like I wasn't really aware of how everything worked. Like, so I go to training camp and they, they offered me a contract at training camp. They never signed me before. So I went there and, was prepared, worked hard, played played well, and uh, got a contract. I remember playing my first exhibition game. I played a half a game in Kalamazoo against Detroit because our training camp was in Dayton, Ohio. So we bust up there. I'm playing against Eddie Jockerman. I'm just like, oh. wow. I was just like, is this great or what? We ended up winning the game three to two or whatever. And then we head back and uh, oh, hold on, hold on. Yeah. You won your first NHL exhibition game against Eddie Jockaman, and you just said, yes. oh, this is cool. Come on, give me yeah. the feeling on coming off the ice of that. I was sky high. I was sky high. I was so excited. And just, 
I remember like Dennis Polonich was playing for Detroit and we, we ended up becoming really good friends over the years through the Red Wing alumni and stuff like that. But uh, I remember busing back to Dayton and I was just like, wow, this is, but so now training camp breaks and Tom McVie was our coach. He was a real, you know, it's amazing when I look back after coaching all these years and thinking back to all the, the coaches I had, that I thought were not like, well, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Why am I, what are you making me do that for? How come I have to do that? It's they're kind of like your parents, but not being your parents. And you realize how smart they are after you're doing it. After you become a parent, you realize how smart your parents were. After you become a coach, you start to realize how smart these coaches were. And Tom McVie was, was one of those type of guys that uh, he, he drove you hard and he expected nothing but 100% effort all the time. And it's stuff, I'll, a lot of things I'll never forget that helped me have a career in this, in this game. But uh, so now the, the, we, we go back to Dayton and now camp breaks and we go to Washington and I get brought along as like the third goal. And I'm like, wow, this is, I'm like, I'm knocking on the door. This is unbelievable. And Mikey, because my birthday is in November, I was still 19 years old. Wow. I'm like, so we go to the, we go to the first game of the year at home. Like I can't even remember who it is. And I'm up sitting in the press box with like two or three other younger, younger guys. And so we get called in the next day. Okay. We're going to have our meeting. And I, I, I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't know. I just assume I'm going to the American league. So I go in there and with Springfield and, and Dayton was in, in the old IHL. So I go in there and uh, said, well, we're going to, we're going to send you down. And, you know, you had a great camp and we think you got a good future and, why don't you go down there and play, play, play and figure out how to be a pro and everything else. So I, I'm thinking to myself, like, how am I going to get to Springfield? Well, you're not going to Springfield. You're going to Dayton in the IHL. And I was like, that's basically like going to the coast. And I'm just like, what? I couldn't, I, I just, in my, I, I couldn't believe it. I thought, wow, like, you know, I thought I, I'm with the team right up until the, the season had started. Next thing you know, then you go to Dayton and it's, it was a, the league at the time, like we could only have five, pros so there was me and four other guys from washington all 20 20 21 at the most years old all been signed and it's all by the week players the rest of the guys huh. and they're not big fans of us with contracts they're not like the guy beside me had an ashtray with sand in it so he's smoking darts in between periods <laughs> like and the old hair arena i call it harem scare arena the harem scare marina, the dressing room was, it wasn't square. It was long, like a bowling alley. Yeah. So I'm sitting up close to the door. There was guys at the other end there. I didn't even know who they were because you couldn't see them. You couldn't hear them. You saw them once you got on the ice a bit, but socializing in the dressing room. Didn't so exist. this is, this is completely different than what you've just experienced in major junior. Oh, absolutely. Like we're playing in front of 6,666 for the, the whole lot last year and a half in Sudbury. I think we lost 11 games out of 66 my last year, like great playoff runs and whatnot. And then, uh, and then you go to this and it's just like, wow, this is, there's only one way out. You got to play yourself out of there. Yeah. I mean, looking back, it was the best thing that ever happened and had a good year in the, in the IHL, made the all-star game team, whatever. And then, uh, the next year, they switched their affiliation from Springfield to Hershey. So we shared Hershey with Buffalo. So now we got nine guys from Buffalo, nine prospects from Washington. So we had Larry Playfair, uh, Jacques Richard at the time, and all kinds of like all kinds of really, really good people. And 
we had to go play Nova Scotia Voyagers and we had to actually get on an airplane to fly there to go there. And I thought, man, this, this is what I was, this is what I'm talking about. This yeah, is, this is, this is big time. This is pro yeah, hockey. Is, and Hershey's a great pro. place to play. Uh, phenomenal. And like, it was very attractive for the independent players because for family life, you know, it's a great place to raise kids. And it's, it's, it was, it was a great experience. And uh, then that's, that was pretty much it. Then you start to realize that, uh, you know, you, you you got you got to figure things out yeah you don't get your hand held you did though 14 games in hershey and the next thing you know that same season you're with the capitals played 43 games carried the mail yeah it was uh it was a great experience you know it's uh you know it was uh, i look back i wish i could have played longer like like 99 percent of all the players <laughs> but it was a situation that the team was the team was young and they had gone through some trouble in the first three or four years of existence. And pretty much when we were getting there at that time, it was like, it was like we were starting over, like the team was starting over. And I still remember, uh, I still remember some of the games like we played, you'd have to play really, really well and play hard. And you'd still come out on the, on the, on the losing end. And after a while, it, it breaks you down mentally as a goalie that you, you get frustrated. And at the time I was, I was very young and I, I wish, uh, I wish I would have been able to handle some of the pressures and everything of it. But uh, in the end, it is what it is. I managed to get one shutout against uh, Los Angeles. I still have the puck somewhere in this basement of mine here. And uh, it, you know, it's, it makes you learn about, uh, about yourself. And when you, when you get cut adrift at the time, there was the WHA was falling apart and there were so many players after my first two years in Washington, Mike, I signed a four year, a four-year uh, one-way contract. And at the time, the WHA collapsed. So there were so many hockey players that they came in one day and just said, okay, you've got three years to go. At the time, they made a, uh, player associations made a deal that the buyout was one-third. So I got bought out for one-third of my contracts. And uh, oh, so I still had three years to go. So I went to the Toronto Maple Leafs camp. And in between camp, the rookie camp and the big camp, I had an opportunity to go to Finland and I went to Finland for a week to try it. And I stayed 14 years. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, here's, here's what I want to know about your NHL career, 73 games. And I, you know, you know, my track record, I played about three dozen, but do you think if you'd been on a better team, you would have had a way better chance of sticking longer term? You know, I, I truly believe this, that sometimes goalies just don't fall into the right scenario. Mm. Team's not any good. You get buried with it and you can't help it. Now there's certain goalies that can fight through that because their skill level is just so high and they're just so special. Mm. But do you think you would have had a better shot staying longer if the team had been better? That's a great question. You know, sometimes that's, that's been asked to me a few times. And what I, the way I look at it, I, I look back at it with no regrets and like, I look at the, the Bob Russell, who I talked about that went to Edmonton and the WHA and just got lost because of, there was no mm-hmm. minor, minor league system. If I went to a better team that had a couple established goaltenders that weren't going anywhere for a long time, I might not even have got in any games. I might've been three or four years in the minors. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know what would have happened. What happened yeah. happened. And I just think that, you know, the NA, I had my chance and, it was funny because at the time of Washington, after me, there was another guy for a while. Then there was another guy for a while and another guy for a while. So I see your point about having a better, more established team. But at the same time, you know, I don't have a time machine. You can't go back. And I just look 
I look fondly upon those days that uh, I was able to play in the National Hockey League. You didn't spend that long in the minors in the in North America, just a few seasons. But we all know that everybody who's played in the minors has some crazy travel story that's happened. And I'm guessing at some point you got snowed in, or the bus couldn't make it, or you missed a plane. <laughs> Does anything like that stand out in your career? Uh, well, when we were in Hershey, we were on the bus and. We had a bus driver that uh, his nickname was uh, was Bunny Nuts, and Bunny Nuts was a Bunny Nuts was a great was a great guy, and like he was one of the boys. And there would be there'd be the odd time that someone someone, especially these Western Canada guys, they they didn't have no problem getting up and taking the wheel from no bu- from, bu- from Bunny Nuts. Oh yeah, like t- t- someone else's turn. He goes, "I'm getting tired. Who wants? Who wants in? Who wants in?" And then you'd have two or three guys that would just jump on it because they loved it. So. <laughs> Then, then uh, he was, it was the big joke was anytime we were going anywhere, he'd always throw Miami on the front of the bus or something like, like something. on the big placard up top oh, that yeah. says where you're Miami, headed on the Greyhound Miami beach or something. Here we go. Here and you're really go. going to Springfield in the dead of winter. Oh yeah. But no, no, this thing's going to Miami. The only thing he didn't have on there one time, they wanted to get pregnant schoolgirls, <laughs> but uh, they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't make it up, but uh, it was funny. Did you ever funny. take the wheel? Oh, uh, no. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> but actually, sometimes I trusted the guy, one of the guys behind the wheel. I can't remember who the one guy was. He just loved it. He couldn't wait till hockey to get over so he could do that, like either be a transport driver or whatever. So, Man, it's so different. Enough. I mean, some of those bus trips were so it's so different then. Like, even when I was playing, you know, guys would sit on the bus and, and drink and play cards. And boy, oh. you don't see that anymore now. Think about how that's different. Well, we used to call the the bus in, in Dayton was uh, it it made the slap, slap shot bus look like a stretch limo. Like this, this thing was not good. And the bus driver was named Dave. And Dave, one time, he was grinning from ear to ear. We were up playing Saginaw or something, the dead January or something from Dayton, and it was freezing. He would tell us at times, like, do not put any lunches or snacks up top because there's a rat somewhere on the bus, and the rat will get the snacks. So keep the keep the, keep the keep the snacks off the top so he come on in after game and I, I was the first one on the bus and i he's just grinning away i said dave what's why are you so happy right now he goes i think the fr- i think the rat froze to death because he's he thinks he's in the in the washroom doing the uh backstroke fin- finito frozen so oh yeah a lot of stuff like that we used to call it the official league Stroh's the official league of the ihl because that time Stroh's was a big beer up through michigan and and Toledo and Dayton and all through that. Yeah. Crazy. I, I always tell people that despite all the chaos that seemed to happen in the minors and the American league ECHL, I think that's what endears it to us. That's, that's what made it so much fun. Like in the moment, sometimes you look at it and go, what are we doing? This is ridiculous. <laughs> and then you look back on it 10 years later and you're like, man, all that chaos ended up being a lot of fun, a lot of good memories, a lot of good stories. You know, that's where yeah, a lot like of that it- comes from. And you come back in the summertime or in the late spring and you'd see your buddies and you'd say, hey, what's new? And they say nothing. And they say, well, can't even begin to tell the experiences and the stories and the relationships you formed. And yeah, it's, we just had a rat freeze to death on the bus. that was eating all our snacks. Oh, uh, let's see. Right. Let's see Johnny down at the mill. Try to top that story. Dave, <laughs> Dave, 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 the bus driver was thrilled. It was his own bus, too. Wow. He owned it. Yeah, it was a he was a one man. It was a one man show. But. Lots more with Jim Bedard coming, but want to give a brief moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. You looking for some sweet kicks? 
Head to eBay, whether rare dead stock or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is a place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers, they're meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. These are the real deal. A team of experienced sneaker authenticators will verify the box, logo stitching, dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity, and it also protects sellers with a verified return process. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers over $100, making it free to sell or flip your collection. So go to ebay.com sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. And yes, I am still doing online virtual goalie coaching through 44visionhockey.com. Go to the website, sign up, create a player page, put me in as your goalie coach. I'd be happy to work with you. The way it works, we take your clips from either Hockey TV or Live Barn. Either one, they work. You send me the games, we get them clipped, and we go over them. I put three or four clips on your player page that you can always refer back to, kind of like Cliff's Notes. You look at these and you go, okay, yeah, I get it. I need to do this next time. You always have that. But the cool part is then we have a Zoom meeting, hour long, we go over all your clips from the games that you've sent in. I'm your personal goalie coach. Look through my eyes of what I've seen as a pro, what I've experienced with all the different goalie coaches that I've worked with, and we put it all together. We improve your game, we get you having fun out there. It's super easy, super simple. So go to 44visionhockey.com and again, create a player page, put me in as your goalie coach. Love to work with you. A lot more with Jim Bedard. Here we go. So how'd you end up in Finland? Uh, I went to the Leaf training, the rookie camp that year. And what happened was Scotty Bowman was in Buffalo and Scotty was very good friends with the, my agent was out of Montreal, Norm Kaplan, who's since passed away. Um, and they had signed a goalie, Yari Pavola, that uh, the problem was that they, they never came to an agreement till late in September, mid-September, just before the NHL training camp. So that for fit the Finnish team TPS, which is one of the it's a very highly regarded team over the years in Finland, very a lot of history. They uh, they said, "Geez, we'll relate, we'll release Yari, but you have to send us a goalie. The season's starting. We have no goalie. We got a goalie, but we don't have a real goalie. We need a goalie." goalie. So my agent Norm said to me, "Would you be interested in going to Finland? You can still be back in time for the Leaf main camp." If and I looked, I looked at the roster and I saw it in. I saw the same thing in Washington. There'd be nine, 12 goalies at camp. Some guys would play so well, but you come back in, there's just coat hangers where they used to be. There's, yeah. uh, so I, I, you know, Mike, it's, it's just, yeah. it does, sometimes it's, it's. You can it, do everything you possibly can to help yourself, but it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. And I saw it, <laughs> I, I saw it happen to other people. I saw it happen to me. So I said, you know what, I'm going to go there and give it a shot. I'm So I remember if, I remember flying over there and there was a guy I turns out had a hockey bag on the Finnair flight. Cause I think, I think I went to Montreal and Montreal over to Helsinki. And, and it's funny cause the, the, I can't remember what his name was. He's a guy from Montreal, a nice guy, good player. He I ended up going to the first place team. He went to the 12th place team. I stayed 14 years. He stayed one year. It, it could have been reversed. It just the luck of the draw. So I ended up going there for a year and I stayed for 14 and uh, the thing was, I, always, I signed 14 one-year contracts because I thought 
you know what? I like it here. I like playing here. The hockey's important. The, the, the guys on the team are good. It's, it's, it's what I, it's my only real option. I, maybe if I play good a couple of years, I could go down to middle Europe and maybe make a little more money in Switzerland or Austria or Germany. I don't know. And so I just figured, okay, just work on. And then it got to be another year and another year and another year. And you hear horror stories about, you know, teams not paying their players and guys being disgruntled and that. And, and in Finland, the, the Finns are very proud of being stand-up people. And if they promise you something that they, they, they deliver and, uh, I found that a hundred percent the time I was there. And the thing was uh, I thought, you know, I can, I can live easier if I can sign a one-year deal. That means I've got to work hard that they want me. And then they've got to want me uh, vice versa. So, so you put a little pressure on yourself that way. Exactly. Yeah. I figured, you know, let's, let's do this. And then about halfway through the stint, they asked me, I ended up getting married to a girl, still married, beautiful wife. She's uh, we've been married like 37 years. She, they, because of being married, I could get uh, become uh, like a landed immigrant slash citizen status. And I could mm-hmm. play as a non-import. So I would say, uh, all the, I, say I would say to the managers, you know, like they'd say, hey, we want to sign you for two or three years. We want you to become, uh, you can, you, you can, you're married. You can get status here that you can play as a non-import. I said, well, show me who you're getting and I'll tell you if I'm going to do it. <laughs> and it never, ever happened that they got anybody that was it could, like I, you have to be a good hockey player. Like in, at the time in Finland, you had to be a, a, above average American league player to play in the elite league there in Finland. There's so many good players and they, the, the tap hadn't really been turned on yet. Right. Cause they were still in Finland. Like they, yes. we haven't had that big influx at that point of European. Exactly. Players. Yeah. And there was still like uh, the odd Czech player would slide out, but no real Russian influence or anything else. It was, I remember being, in the first couple practices and we had, I had guys that were defense were better than the guys I was playing for in Washington, hundred percent. Like this Timo Newman, he was unbelievable athlete. He at one time, he was voted the best soccer player and hockey player in the country in the same year. The guy was a freak. His, <laughs> this guy's the Deion Sanders of Finland. Oh, he broke, he, he blocking shots and warm up and everything. I go, I called Come him, on. I, called, I swear to God, I called him caveman. I said, you are the best caveman. I can't, you, you're, right up here buddy i got you right up here he had this he, he had no driver's license rode a bicycle in the dead of winter i would see a shadow sometimes going through town it was him he's like his brother his son petri played a bit with columbus and played had a great career in europe was a great skater and a good player but this numpa like couldn't speak a word of english and as as the years went on i can speak finnish well enough to get anything and get like my in-laws don't speak a word of english still obviously but uh they're over there but I can go and get anything I need and finish after all those years. I was always the only uh, foreign player in the dressing room. So I'm traveling with them. I'm in there. We have days off. I'm at my in-laws house. Everyone's speaking Finnish. And you, if, if you want to be there, you have to be able to go to the market. You got to be able to interact with your teammates. You have to be able to. How long speak. did it take you to pick up the language? And then could you maybe give me a restaurant order and finish? Just tell me you want to order a steak and fries or something like that. I just, I've got to hear this. Mina Mina Halua iso bifi ja ja yks yks ranskalaisa peruna kitos paljon. Wow. So how long did it take you to pick up that language? Oh, it's so it, different it, than English. Yeah, it's it takes it took quite a while. Like my my grammar is horrendous, but people understand because and they they take pride in knowing that I'm trying, and they're 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 usually very patient. Like my grammar is, I couldn't even imagine how bad my grammar is but so you're like it, the american uh, version of esatikan and over here 
Well, I don't even, hopefully not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> Teak and ease. <laughs> Teak and ease. Yeah, like, uh, like, like I, all the terms of hockey, like the blue line is Cine Viva, red line is Puna Viva, Mali Viva. Like the goal, a hockey stick is a Myla, gloves are Hanska. You know, all this, all this different things. A puck is Kiako on a Myla. Give me your stick. I you hear that from kids every time I walk out there. He's on a Myla, on a Myla. Yeah. <laughs> So what's the Finnish hockey experience like? I mean, you've, you've already touched on on the ice, but away from the rink, is it is it different? I mean, I've always found the Finnish players to be the most fun. I mean, to be frankly honest, these guys drink like a fish and they never get in fights and they're always happy. Well, that's 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 pretty much it. Like the guys are great. They are uh, their passion for hockey and just it's 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 a different vibe. Like when I first went there, like the guys all had jobs and they might be bird jobs with the city where like they drive around in a truck I, I, drinking like 18 to 22 cups of coffee a day, but, and then they'd be, they'd be practice in the morning. They'd have like sometimes a little bit of an optional for certain things. And th- then they would be back at for practice and anything to do with hockey. It's like, it, it was a, it was a, but I think these days because of the way everything is like the guys are, they basically just play hockey and or go to school or just play hockey. It's turned into like, they don't trust each other to, like to work out individually and you show up and you're in shape. Like everything's in a group. I remember going over there August the 2nd, just to run in the forest. And like, they always, they, that's what they do. And they usually play a tournament. We went to Russia or to, down to Germany or over to Sweden to play exhibition games. And, that, and it was, it was a great experience. Did you always think you were going to come back to North America? Was there any thought that maybe you were going to end up being a Finnish citizen and living there? No, like uh, I liked it, but I, I knew I, I didn't like it. I like I liked it to, for being there seven eight months a year because of hockey and, and that. But uh, I I knew I didn't want to live there. And like my wife and I, we were together like eleven and a half years before we had our daughter. And she would come over for two or three months in the summer with me. Next year, next year, then we got engaged and everything else. So she started to look forward to coming back to Canada also. And that was a big thing that I wanted to make sure that she was going to be happy here. So we mm-hmm. took our time that she got uh, accustomed to life here and everything. Now, like she teaches fitness and Pilates and yoga and this, that, and the other thing, like uh, we can't walk anywhere without under normal conditions where someone saying, Aria, Aria, Hey, Aria, I know you're from the gym. How are you doing? What's going on? How are you doing? Like it's uh, she's got quite a network of, of friends and, and people that she, she can count on. Do you have a sauna in the basement? No, we're thinking about it. We have a steam shower that came with the house here that we got, but uh, I'm just going to make sure that we're going to be here for a little while longer. My father-in-law from Finland, when he comes over, he's so handy. He could, he can do anything. We've already talked to him about uh, putting a song in for us. But is that, that, is that something? Nice. Is that something you did in Finland though? Was I've always heard oh. the story about going from the sauna to into the, like the frozen lake and back and forth. Well, the frozen lake, it's not. That's like a a few times a year, like it's not like a, an every time thing, but Mike, we would play a 36 game schedule. We had nine games or 10 teams in the league, nine games, nine games. At the end of every nine game block, the team would have a sauna night and it would be sponsored by an insurance company, some sort of cor- corporate stuff. We'd go to there. So there'd be a big building downtown, either on the roof or in the basement. They'd have sauna, they'd have a kitchen, they have all the best like massage tables and everything else that you would go there. And that's how, you know, we had, we had like robes with our numbers on it, our names on the back. That, that's how often we would go. And then once in a while, we have elite sauna where they would just take the team leaders. And I was very, 
I must, they must have thought enough of me that they would ask me to be part of that group too, which is like when it, when in doubt have a sauna and it's, uh, it's, 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 it's Friday nights usually or Saturdays, they start about two thirty, three o'clock, they'll have a sauna and they'll have dinner. And sometimes younger people might go out, but it's a, it's a great way to relax in, in, in a family atmosphere. It's just like they'll build the sauna first in the house around it. That's the way they kind of operate. <laughs> so after the playing days end, I've never asked you this. How did you end up getting the gig with the Detroit Red Wings? Did you go straight from playing in Finland to goalie coaching right away? Was there a layover period before getting that job? No. Yeah. Like uh, I came back and I, I coached with the Niagara Falls Thunder, which was the major junior team at the time. And Manny Legacy was the goalie. And Manny was awesome. Like he's such a good talent. People don't like Manny's amazing athlete. He doesn't, he doesn't look like you would pick him to be like an athlete. If someone said, okay, there's five guys, pick out the best athlete. Unbelievable basketball player. Played shortstop for under 21 Canada hardball team in uh, baseball team in big tournaments and whatnot and was just a good goalie and so Manny got picked to play for the world juniors and I said to Manny I said you're going to Sweden I said those the ice is like a lake Manny and Niagara Falls Arena it's not 200 by 85 it's probably 185 by I don't know kind of like Dayton it's undersized right very undersized yeah small barn like so so one day after practice, we're, we're getting them ready to go over to the world juniors. And I took the net and I put it at center ice and I took a pylon and we had a tape measure. We measured, okay, we put a cone here. And then we put a cone on the other side. He said, Manny, that's where the corners are and where you're going to play. He goes, you got to be kidding me. I said, yeah. So Manny, when you're, you're going to play the puck, but you can play the puck well, either when in doubt, stay put, because that's a long way back. And these guys are going to burn you if you, so we did little things like that. We did puck handling stuff with the amount of space that they had and everything. And Manny went over and was basically stole the gold medal. And he said some nice words about me in the paper about how we prepared. And next thing you know, the job came up in Detroit and a friend of mine, Paul Crowley, who runs a really big hockey company uh, to this day with uh, obviously with COVID, it's taken quite a hit, but uh, hopefully things get back to normal soon. He recommended me because him and Kenny Holland played together in Binghamton and I got an interview and next thing you know, eight, 10 months later, it was, uh, I'm going to parade on uh, Woodward Avenue in Detroit. So huh. it was an amazing, amazing transformation. But it, I always say like it, it, it finds you, it, you don't find it. It's a, it's a job that you do with passion and people will notice and, you know, and how you treat people and, how you try to get the most out of guys without uh, like letting them know that you're in their corner. As long as you work hard, I'll, I'll fight to the death for you. As long as we work and let's both keep our jobs. Yeah. So, what was it like walking into a coaching room, with Scotty Bowman, your first year? It was very extremely intimidating. In fact, Mikey, when I got the job, I was working at a golf course and I was, uh, I was working outside not maintenance, mind you, I was doing some stuff. I was in charge of organizing groups and tournaments and whatnot. It was, it was a lot of fun. I liked it. And uh, it was kind of, it was like seven months of the year. So I was starting to do hockey stuff on, in, the, in the other months. It worked out good. So a guy from the other side of the golf course said, there's a, we're transferring a call over to the cart room. You got an important phone call. And oh my God, I hope nobody's heard or like, who knows? Like, so you just think of the worst. And it was a uh, invitation to come to get interviewed in Detroit. So I went to uh, 
I went and got interviewed and then some bunch of time went by. I, I just thought, well, I didn't get it. I guess no news is probably, I didn't get it, whatever. And then somebody said, no, no, no news. No news is good news. Like, they're going to call you and tell you one way or the other. So a day before training camp starts in Traverse City, and that was the first year of, I think, about 18, 19 years straight going up to Traverse City. Kenny Holland called, we gave you the job. We're going to give you one year. We're going to see how it goes. And I want you in Traverse City tomorrow by two o'clock. We're having a meeting. So I said to the guys at the golf course, see you, boys. Adios. I could be, be back next year. I said, I'm taking a leave of absence. I'm not quitting. I'm taking a leave of absence. I never quit. <laughs> I love how you leave that open-ended. Like you could always yeah. come back to it. Oh, I, I really enjoyed it. It was great. But uh, so, so then I, I drive up, I drive up to Traverse city and I walk in and it's like, Mikey, you said it about being intimidated. Mike, they won the Stanley cup the year before. Like, like the bar has been set the, very high, very high. And the thing was, Mike Vernon had been cut adrift. They thought that they were going to, it was time to go to a younger Chris Osgood and whatever. And Kenny had a, a relationship with, uh, with Chris from the time that Chris was a young man and really believed in him. He thought he needed somebody to help mentor him and be able to be there in his corner. And uh, that's exactly what happened. You know, Kenny gave me an opportunity that lasted 19 years and, you know, Ozzy came in and out a couple of times and like he, we talk every day still, like sometimes three times a day. He gets a little obsessive at times, but it's always fun. And sometimes I do too. So it's, it's great. So yeah, we, uh, we, we stay in touch. And that year we were, we were in the playoffs against Phoenix and we're playing at the old rink downtown. And I could tell like he was crapping razor blades. Like they were in the papers. They were just ready to like, they're looking for stuff to just bury this poor young kid and, I could tell that he was letting it get to him. And after a team meeting one night, I said, let's, let's go up to the room. I want to talk, talk to you. And I said, they were talking about, about Chris, about Chris, like, you know, Terry Sawchuk did this and Terry Sawchuk did that. And this guy did this. And I said, man, you can't play against a person that's deceased. You can only be you. I said, just go out there, stop thinking, start playing. You can do this. You can do this. And it was just like, he just kind of, his shoulders kind of went up. And it was just like he was injected with a, a, a little more confidence and away we went. And, you know, it was, a, it was a magical, magical eight to 10 months. And concluding with that, it was, it was fantastic. It's, it's, you can't even tell you how, what a difference it makes in your life. Foundationally, when you started to do coaching, especially with Osgood, what did you bring to their game? I mean, I know when we work together, always skating is the emphasis and people don't understand how good of a skater you need to be as a hockey player, as a goaltender. But what did you find with Ozzy and what did you guys bond over that got his game to that level where he could take the team to the Stanley cup? I think what, uh, what bonded us was the fact that the relationship of knowing that I was in his corner, that if he's going to get shit, I'm getting shit. If he's getting if he's in the doghouse, I'm in the doghouse. Like I, the only thing I can bring in the Scotty Bowman and Dave Lewis and the other coaches that were with us in Detroit is, is our work ethic every single day. And we don't cut corners and we make it fun. We work hard and we have fun. It's, it's fun to stop the puck. You know, Mikey, yeah. I would come home. I'm sure this has happened to you. My wife would say, how was practice? She gives zero, you know, what's zero. It's just <laughs> making conversation. I said, I haven't stopped the I haven't stopped the puck in three or four days. You're in there. There's somewhere hitting you, but you know when you're stopping it and you're stopping it. Yeah. And she goes, "Oh, that's nice." Like she just goes right over. You don't. 
Like <laughs> it's fun to stop the puck. And the best thing is like you work your rear end off every single day, takes the bumps in the road out and you leave the rink and you go enjoy your life. And you know, like uh, it's, some guys are just given so much talent and you know, if it's, if it's mined properly and you put your foot on the gas and the work ethic practice, the games, games become easy. You start to play a lot. You start to play without thinking. You start to play just reactionary instead of thinking and overthinking. And, you know, like right now there's a big hoo-ha about Carey Price, you know, like Carey Price didn't forget how to play. He even said himself, he thinks he's overthinking. And, you know, Carey Price, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet against Carey Price anytime soon. And, like all these guys who've gotten to this level, Mike, you, you survived all these years. You, you've had the past test. You had the past test to beat out a kid when you're eight or nine years old, 10 years old. You had to pass a test when you made your first leap, leap from minor hockey up into, into like uh, the tier two hockey to and go to college to get in the net and be the guy in the net. Like these guys all pass tests. And if, if, if they're worked out properly and you get their mind right, the, the success comes back. Do you have a favorite memory with Chris Osgood, whether it's on or off the ice? I know you guys oh, had a great relationship, but maybe just oh, one, something funny that happened that sticks out oh, in your mind. He's a terrible card player. <laughs> terrible. Terrible. Because, he, because his attention span is so, is so short that it's hard. I think he, we, we played a little game on the, on the plane called Bugger Bridge. Like, the game takes about 45 minutes to play. We're lucky to play one or two games, and it's $5 a game. It was just for fun and giggles, you know. And I think he went two and a half months without winning a game. Like it's almost impossible. What a run. Yeah. Great run. And you know, he's, uh, he's so funny and his stories, sometimes they're just stories, but they're still funny. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like it got to be, it got to the point that like with Jimmy Howard and Joey McDonald and these guys and, and, and Ozzy, like we would do all the skating and they would be able to talk and we, we talk about what we did they would talk, tell me what each other, what they did last night, what they had for dinner as we're doing it, working hard, but yeah. just, it was just like, we were all meshed in and Joey McDonald was a great guy to have around too. He, he did some great stuff in Detroit in the short time he was there. Real character. Funny he's an guy. Islander, isn't he? I believe. Yeah. I can yeah, remember looking down the Detroit. ice and thinking Joey McDonald's going to kill me more than once or twice. He was always <laughs> at the far blue line. If I even touched a foot outside the blue paint. <laughs> Joey, yeah, he's he's actually from Picto, Nova Scotia. And uh, his dad actually was the ferry driver between PEI and uh, oh, Nova Scotia, which is, yeah, oh yeah, like salty. Yeah, mm. great guy. Well, you had a nice string of guys that came through, obviously. I mean, it's the Red Wings. You had <laughs> Cujo and Dom. And uh, Dominic Hasek to me is one of the most fascinating players ever to play the game. I mean, dominant as a goaltender, but so unique in how he approached things. Did you learn as much from him as he did from you? Well, the biggest myth I think is that when I see young goalie coaches, what really irks me is when I'm, I'm, I'm walking through a rink and I see a goalie coach out there with the team and he's got the goalie down for eight to 10 minutes of the practice. And he's on one knee and he's given the, the kid a lecture. Like to me, ice time is so valuable you should be working on the ice. You can talk off the ice and explain things, especially when you have a limited amount of time. And with Dom and, and other goal, goalie coaches that I, I give some advice to get to the NHL is, is that uh, it's, you don't do as much coaching. These guys are already really, really good. And like we talked about with that book, passing tests is that they've passed tests. So 
your job is to make them as good as they should be, not because they're, like I said, Mike, they're already good goalies. Like when I first, I, I looked at your history where, where you played, I knew all about you. I remember going to watch you play down at uh, St. Lawrence. I remember going into the old rink there and watching you play. And like, you were good enough to play in St. Lawrence. You're good enough to play division one college. You're probably good enough to play pro. You end up playing in the NHL for the time that you did. And you're always on the radar. Always a guy that like, it's because you're already good and you got to get bring the best out of these guys. And it's not, it's like, what gets me too is like the mumble jumble that goes on over coaching. A lot of it's, it's, it's compete, compete, get yourself out there, battle. Don't quit on pucks in practice. If you work hard in practice, the stuff just happens in games. It's not, mm-hmm. you don't practice one way and play another. It's very simple. And when I, when I see that sometimes these, the, the, these young, younger guys that are, and the poor goalies, they don't know if they're putting on their left skate or their right skate by the time they've got so much over information, like bend your knees, get your hands up, dig in, let it hit you. And if it comes off you, you get as fast as you can in front of it again and so on and so on. Compete is my favorite word. Compete. And Dom did that in practice. My job was to get him off the ice, Mike. No he way. didn't want to leave. He didn't <laughs> want to leave Sometimes we'd be going to play three and four, San Jose, LA, Anaheim. I'd say, Don, we're going out West. You're going to play probably two of them. Maybe, you know, not for sure you're playing two. I don't know which ones yet. We'll talk to the coach. He said, okay, Jimmy. Okay, Jimmy. Okay. Okay. Just give me one more, one more hard one. Hard. He would work so hard that when we would go off the ice, he couldn't straighten up and he would miss the door. He'd have his helmet on. He'd bonk his head and miss the hole <laughs> to get out. And he'd be like a St. Bernard in the summer, Mike, with the drooling. <laughs> and it was like, if he was a, if he was a dog, they'd put him down. Like he was just, but work so hard and challenge players and challenge his teammates. And like, I remember guys going down the wing and I'd be just inside, the, uh, inside the blue line out of the way and guys would come down, down the right wing. And I could see the angle. There was nothing, nothing. So they'd be cut to the middle, nothing. Go over to the other side, take him to the from the left, nothing, and just go back in line. And these are NHL shooters and not playing way, way out of the paint, just just enough that he knew that he could do what he had to do. And, and you, you know, people always talk about the people used to say to me all day, Oh, how do you coach him? You can't coach him. I said, You're right, I don't coach him. I just get him ready to be the best he can be. Like, like I would be, be afraid to take any credit for Dominic Hassock's talent. My talent is getting getting the most out of these guys on a, on a regular basis, more like eight, nine times out of 10 every night. Did you take a lot of pride in growing people's games, especially like Jimmy Howard, taking him out of Maine where he was an amazing college goaltender, but letting him grow through the American league and getting into the role where he became a really, really good NHL goaltender. Absolutely. And, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy had a great career. How many, not a lot of goalies are in the same team. You got your lung twists and, and whatnot. And Jimmy, you know, he came up, Three, three good years in, in Grand Rapids in the American League, learning how to play, learning about uh, all, the, all, all, all parts of his game. And, you know, it's funny. I went to see David Lenovo play at uh, Cornell one because when, when I first started, like, I did the scouting, I did the minors, and I did the NHL. So it was great. I was always – I was it, it just what, what it was, right? So I, right. I would – Jimmy Noe would give me a list of uh, maybe, say, or Joe McDonnell, our, our scout, chief scout at the time, would give me a list of six guys. And – Jimmy it makes sense if you mentioned coming in to see me because Lenovo was the same time we were the same draft year yeah. and he was the hot well, prospect and I was the afterthought <laughs> well it was funny because I went to uh, like Jimmy Neal said if Jimmy Neal would never ever tell you 
go see this guy. Get to make sure you see this guy. If you have time, I know you got a lot on your plate. If you can, if you, have, if you find it in your schedule that you can get there, you know, that's the way Jimmy Nell operates. He's one of the best people in hockey I've ever met. And not, one of the best people well, I've ever met, period. hundred percent. So now he asked, he goes, this Lenovo, like he's, he's on everybody's radar. He goes, uh, could you, so living in Niagara Falls, I, I, that's where I worked at him. I would be in a hotel in Detroit for four or five days. Then I'd be in a hotel in Glens Falls, New York for four or five days. Then I would do scouting, go out west and whatever. And uh, so I go down to Cornell and there's had to be 25 to 30 scouts there. And, and they're all there for one reason. And to watch David Lenovo. To watch so, him make 15 saves. So that's the workload so, he got. <laughs> so we're watch, I'm watching him and I'm, I'm thinking it was like I hadn't been to a lot of college games because of and they had the newspapers out in warmups and they throw them at you, throw them, throw them out on the ice. I'm going, this is crazy. I, I thought this was awesome, something different. It's fun. So, oh yeah, it was great. So the game's going on, and I'm thinking I'm watching the game, and Dave Dave Lennon, well, he wasn't was a fine goalie. You know, he was like he didn't he didn't stand out to me that I would be a guy that would, I look at goalies when I'm scouting. I'd say when I work for Detroit as a could this guy be a Detroit Red Wing? That's how I look at it. Like, I don't, I don't want a guy for Grand Rapids. I don't want a guy for Toledo. I want a guy, can this guy be a Detroit Red Wing someday? So I'm watching the game and there was, Jimmy Howard was, was against the U.S. development team. So I'm watching the game. And guys are coming down the wing for Cornell, just burying their heads, blast them. He held his ice. I was over one of his shoulders, holding his ice, competing on every, under control, closing the gaps in situations, back to his post, cutting off passes, two-on-ones, patience, everything that I like to see in a goal when I'm scouting. It's, I look for their feet. I look for their goalie IQ. I look at all that stuff, how they compete, obviously, and getting face-offs when you need one on a PK and getting mm-hmm. game management. Game management, huge. So I get in the car after, and Jimmy Nill gives me a call and says, how was the goalie? I said, the goalie was great, but not the goalie that <laughs> I went to see. And he had already heard about Jimmy and Joe McDonnell had already heard about him. And I said, this, this guy's a future Red Wing. This guy can play for the Red Wings. And, and then after that, uh, we, we, I went to see him in Maine and was mm-hmm. on him hard. And I was nervous because at the drafts, I talked to, I think, Robbie, Robbie uh, I think I can't remember his last name. He was scouting for LA around the same areas that I did. And he said that he was really pushing for Jimmy, but they didn't take him. They were going to take him the next pick because they had two picks, like four people apart. And we ended up taking Jimmy in the second round. And it was, it was a great, great thing for the Detroit Red Wings. Man, I played against him in college. It was the best weekend of my life. I had a one nothing shutout against Maine. And I remember thinking, mm-hmm. like, this is the pinnacle for me because Jimmy was unbelievable at the other end. And they mm-hmm. came back and beat us the next night. But playing in Maine, I don't know if you got to see a game there. That rink was oh, amazing. Yeah. Cornell, Maine. Yeah. And, and you talk about warm-ups being a war zone. They didn't used to have netting on top of the glass at Maine. So pucks are flying off the crossbar. They're going into the band. The tuba players throwing pucks back at your shoulder in warm-ups. <laughs> if you got out of Maine with a win and not being bruised, you were having a good night. <laughs> Mikey, the first time I go to Maine to watch Jimmy play on a weekend, I, I'm, I park the car. I, I go real early because I don't know the lay of the land. And I parked the car four or five blocks away. Was it Alfond Arena? Alfond Arena. Yep. Or no main. So I parked the car way away and I'm walking, getting fresh air, stretching my legs and excited about this. And as I walk, there's a big frat house. There's a couch being tossed out 
of the bal- off the balcony of this big frat house on fire. About, about, oh my God, this is this is Animal House. This, this is, yeah, you're waiting for John is, Belushi to come out and pound down a I fifth guess, of Jack Daniels. This is great. I thought, wow, this. Is, then you go into the rink and you stand like two, three deep on the rail. And the people above you are stomping and all the debris falling on your head and down your neck and down like fiberglass and there's all the asbestos. Yeah. Oh my (laughs) God. Oh, but that's, uh, that's good memories. (laughs) I bet you had. So it's funny how you mentioned Manny legacy kind of puts you on the radar and then you got a chance to work together with Detroit. You know, now he's doing great things with Columbus as their goalie coach. Did you see that future for Manny when you guys worked together when he was younger? Yeah, I saw that because Manny's his personality is uh, like he's very likable guy. Great like, the guy. worst thing the, the worst thing I could see is for any coach is that in any sport is if if you come to help somebody and they just go oh no oh no not again oh this guy oh like you got to have a relationship that they have to understand that you want to help them and you can help them and they respect that you you want to help them and it just should be. Thing. And that's the type of personality Manny has. And the reason he got to Detroit is Jim Nilla, or I'm sorry, Kenny Holland and um, Jim Devolano called me to their suite during a draft in Boston. And they had a list of well, 12 different goalies that they, we needed a good third guy at the time in Detroit. And there were some good guys on the list, Rick Tabaracci and this and that. And they went through the list and they, I said, stop right there. And they said, why? I said, I know this kid. I coached him in junior. I said, I said, he's, he could be, could be a really, really good backup for us if, if there's injuries and he could come in and, and he can play. I said, he's the best goalie not in the NHL. And that's at the time what we were looking for. And then Manny came in and uh, he had a great career with us for what he did with us. And like, I remember sometimes we would be down four or five to one. We make a goalie change just to make a change to get, wake our team up. And, and Manny would go in there next, you know, where we win six, five, like he would just like, he's like a microwave. Like he talked about, like he could heat up in a hurry and uh, he fit that role perfectly. I've never heard a goalie referred to as a microwave. <laughs> <laughs> That's him. He was a microwave. You know, I just talked to Ty Conklin. He was the last guest on the show and he, we got into talking about the outdoor game and his incident and there was more to it. He kind of let on that. It was just brief, but he had to take a little break. What happened? Well, it's funny. It's like I'm I'm under a blanket. So we're in the visitors' clubhouse at Wrigley Field, and we're getting ready to go down to the field. And I said to Ozzy, I said, Ozzy, you better grab one of these blankets. He goes, Oh, I don't need a blanket. I don't need a blanket. He goes, I said, Trust me, you are going to need a blanket. In Finland, when I first went there, that's if you weren't playing, you, you, the spare goalie and the extra players sat on the bench with a blanket on. I got to find pictures of this. That's great. I wish I had that when I played. The backup towel didn't give me enough warmth. No. I needed a full blanket. We had the full blanket. So we had the blanket. And so I said to Ozzy after about 10 minutes of the game, I said, how are you liking that blanket now? <laughs> <laughs> he goes, wow, good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so now Ty with his, uh, with his uh, bathroom breaks. So halfway through the third period, and we're, we've, we've pretty much taking control of the game, but it's, it's not over until it's over. Like it's, you're in Wrigley Field. It's, it's, it's spectacular. It's, it's unbelievable. It's a spectacle. So now, it is. And so about the first time out, I think it's the first whistle after the 15 minute break. I think it is. He skates over and he sees it. He sees me there and goes, waves me over. So I come over to him. He goes, 
I'm going to piss my pants. That's what he said. I'm going to piss my <laughs> pants. I said, well, I said, Ty, they're going to play, take me out to the ball game at the 10 minute mark. He said, I'll get Beamer to open the door over there and you're going to, so I go over and Beamer's there. Our, he's our PR guy. Great, great guy, Todd Beam. And uh, so, you know, he's, he's hunched down on his, on one knee with this and he's right at the door. So soon as the, 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 there was a break, boom, Ty takes off. He's going down the rubber mat and it was pretty, pretty far walking. You're like, these people are like all right there. These are the best seats, right? The, so there's a urinal in the dugout on the far side. So he just ducked in, did his business. On he went back on the ice. Like it was, it was classic. And the next day, Mike, in the paper, the Chicago Tribune, they had a full aerial picture of the whole field that went from way up high. And it wasn't up that high. You could see Todd Beam with his hand on the door. They took it at that exact during that minute or two that Todd was there waiting for the thing to end to open the door. He's, he's crouched down classic. When, when Tyrone was making his big exit to take a leak. <laughs> Tyrone, man, he's, he loved, he loved playing outdoors. He's like a, he's a full Alaskan, that boy. He's a beauty. He was the specialist. He played in three straight completely yeah, by dumb luck. Yeah. And I, I can't remember his record, but he played well in all of them. I mean, that's his, that's the Alaska experience. He, he talked about the Edmonton game and, yeah, Theodore was freezing and Theodore's from Quebec. You'd think he'd be okay, but T Conks minus 20 didn't phase him. No, I, I, I heard your interview with him and it was great to hear it. And he said, he could just put on one extra t-shirt. Like, like that's, that's leather. That boy's leather. Yeah. Well, Jimmy, we had a magical year in Texas. I, I, that to me was the pinnacle of my career. And people sometimes think about, well, it's not the NHL. I go, well, yeah, the NHL things were very, very special. But I don't think people understand what it's like to make it to a game seven in a final to be the last game on earth, to be on a team that's having that much fun and playing together. And just Can you sum up that season and kind of how our experience was working together from the start to the finish where it ended? Well, what, there's a few things along the road there that really strike me and I, I obviously we can start at the beginning is that I, I said, Mikey, we're going to, and I know you didn't like being called Mikey. So I said, Mikey, <laughs> you're the one, gonna, you're one of the very few people that can get away with it. <laughs> I said, we're going to, we're going to do a lot of skating. And I said, you, you, you got great feet. You're, they're going to get, they're going to get even better. And you're going to you got great legs, great hands. We're going to be, we're going to really put that in. It's going to help the, these the other young guys that are, 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 are going to learn from, from both of us. And once, once you started to see the results and everything, like you were right on board with it and you're easy to coach and easy to get you prepared to be because you had, you had been so many years in it. And I just, I just really, really thought that you were a great, not only a mentor and look, look back, but one of our first practices together, there was a player on the ice that sent you, there was like three of us on the ice and sent you flying my heart dropped into my shoes. I've skates. never been hit harder in my life. I couldn't believe that you could keep going. I thought you would have broken sternum. <laughs> it's one of those things where somebody is skating backwards at full tilt, a guy about what, six, four, six, I can't five, remember the guy's last name to be honest either. with you, but he was about six, five, 220 pounds yeah. and he's skating backwards. And we go to take a hot lap to do our warm up. And I got absolutely flattened. <laughs> well, he was going one way, he was going another. I, I went, and I could, I could still in my mind's eye, and you hear, hear the air coming out of you. <laughs> like, oh my God. 
How do you explain that? There's nobody on the ice. How did he get hurt? It's you're on my watch. How did I mean, this it's, happen? it's funny now, but man, I had to collect myself. God, I got hit hard. That was like, that was, that was, I think one or two days before the season started. I don't know exactly when, but it's like, wow, this, this is not, this is not a good omen. Meanwhile, then we go to play the last game on the planet that meant anything, obviously. And it was, uh, was a hell of a run. And, you know, your composure during the playoffs and how you brought the, our mix. We had a great mix of older and young guys that were great leaders like Dylan Hetherington and these guys, like we've obviously Travis Moore, that goes without saying these Greg great, Regner. great leaders. Oh God. Greg Rollo, you name it. Curtis yeah, McKenzie. Ladies, we had a lot yeah, of players. Oh, Curtis Mack. Like I, I, I still send him a text the odd time because he's in Utica playing and i was hoping that hopefully he gets one more kick at the can because there's yeah. a guy that's hard and so i know when when the texas stars beat grand rapids out uh i think the year they won they won the calder cup i was obviously watching the games with, with detroit and i'm watching and i said to miller i said there's this one guy that he just he just is just punishes guys on the four check just punishes this guy I, I love this player and it was curtis and then obviously we end up being becoming very good friends so it's great that season was amazing. And I think some of the most fun we had was just the, the lunches and going for tacos and <laughs> taco Tuesday, baby. Taco I Tuesday. Gotta, <laughs> when you're, when you're in Texas, it's, it's, it's all about taco Tuesday. Yeah. I think Tuesday. really, I think what you did for me that was so good was just being able to get me right back in the mental space that I needed to be, you know, there's times where I, I was a victim of my own thinking a lot mm-hmm. where I just would get wrapped up in trying to find the little detail on why something wasn't going right. And you'd always ground me. You'd bring me back and say, Mike, just play. Just play. You know what to do, right? And my favorite moment, though, is when we go into game seven. And before the game, you come up to me and you go, Mikey, full peacock today. Let the let the plumage fly. <laughs> <laughs> and something to that effect. And, but, man, you got to laugh out of me, you know? And, and I was ready to go. And yeah. that, was, that was the pinnacle, man. It was special yeah. to be part of that. And Mikey, too, like – at the same time, at the end of the game, you, you came up to me and Elliot Friedman came down after the game and said that he wanted to talk to you. And I, I've known Elliot from the time in Detroit, classy, class, one of the good guys in, the, in doing that job. Yeah. And, and he said, I, I just want to, I just got to say well done to Mike McKenna. And I was so proud to go and tell you. And you said to me, as you were going to talk to, uh, to Elliot, that man, I wanted to win this for you so bad. And I, I to me, I felt like I won because from where, where we started from the time that guy bumped into you to where we ended up at the Rico Center, people hanging off the rafters, the run that we had in Texas with 75 to 85, who knows how many were officially in the building. Yeah. Like these were making new hockey, made a lot of new hockey fans and this craziness in, against Rockford and beating out Tucson and just knocking these teams off one after we're just like a little, uh, a little engine that could, it was great. You know, that meant a lot to me that Friedman came down. And it's not many times that somebody that's, pretty important within media wants to go talk to the losing goalie you know that's rare like that was really special and appreciated um and it's it kind of forged that a little bit of a friendship there where now me being in media can occasionally lean on him for things but um man that that's fun man it really was and i got i've got one more question for you and i've always been curious for multi-stanley cup winners like yourself three of them did any of them mean more than the others or did they all carry the same weight? It's funny you ask that is because, you know, having three, being fortunate enough to be around and being in the right place at the right time with the right people. 
to win three times. But when you're going through it, you're almost relie- more relieved that it's over because you know you know behind the scenes the injuries that are going on. You know how t- who how, how guys are behind the scenes. So you know things that the media don't know. You know yeah. you know all the little things that and it's it's you go a couple you lose a couple in a row in the playoffs and it's like oh my god we're done we're never going to win again we're never going to win another game then all of a sudden you win five in a row and then you're back and you're there, and you're like how did that happen next thing you know you lose another game oh god you feel like you might not win another game and it just it goes on every other night for two months and by the end of it you're more relieved that it's over that then you won the first time is obviously you're so sky high the second time and third time it's just like you know the grind and it is a grind and what, what's the two things that I remember, obviously winning the first time, but losing game seven, two to one against Pittsburgh the year after we beat them. And, you know, like it's, it's, it's tip for tap. Like they, we, we beat them in their building. They beat us in our building, game seven. We beat them in game six in their building. But the thing that uh, I would have... It it, affect, it feels like you got kicked in the you know what's for about two months after because yeah. you you just been through this grind and then you have this incredible incredible letdown and then I, I had heard from sources that if we had won that game which obviously we lost two to one Ozzy was going to be the Con Smythe winner and that's what really really sunk me that really really hurt me because you know I'm I'm such a big fan off the ice as much as on the ice and anyway. That's that's part of it. That's all part of this. Like uh, I worked, I worked one year after I was done with Detroit. I worked one year with the Windsor Spitfires and a young up and coming goalie named Mike DiPietro. And talk about a heartbreaking loss this kid went through. We won the Memorial Cup in Windsor, and then he ended up uh, being with Team Canada, getting cut from Team Canada, coming back, winning the job again, and losing the way they did. I think there was a tip in at the last minute at the somebody's stick broke. It was a one goal game that I think they lost to, uh, I think they lost to Russia if I'm, if I'm positive, but anyway, it just, there's, it, it's a lot of, uh, a lot of ups and downs and it's life, man. It's life. Give it a kick. Well, we're always battling for each other. To me, that's the whole moral of the story. That's how you've always coached is your goalies, the goalie coach, you're in it together. You're pulling for one another and mm. you feel that, you know, that connection. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why, like I, really wanted to win for you, for my team, for everybody. Cause it, I felt like the work that we'd put in just needed to be rewarded, but we did everything we could. And even in a losing battle, you can still have that solace that you've done everything you can. You left it all yeah. on the table and you should still be proud of it. And that's, mm. that's important for an athlete. And that's the final question I have for you. When you look back at what you've done in hockey, what are you most proud of? I'd say the relationships that are left that will last a lifetime aside the game. Like when you look back, it's, I remember I was 14 years in Finland. I can, I can remember maybe one or two or three games. It's just a blur. I'm sure you have the same way. You've played so many games. Like it's just a blur after a while. And you think back even 19 years in Detroit, three years with Dallas on the development side, it's just a blur, but you remember the people and the stories, not so much the game itself, but you remember the stories and the people associated with them and how you can just pick up things and, Unfortunately, at, at my age now, like you're starting to see guys that, uh, you know, if, if people are getting old and, uh, you know, you, you want to make sure everyone's around as long as they can. That's, that's yeah. the key. 
You keep riding that bike of yours and you're going to stick yeah. a whole <laughs> lot longer, Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> that damn thing. I'm looking at it right now. I swear at it every morning. Well, you got things in a good place. You got a good wife. You got a good life at home. I can't thank you enough for joining me. One of my favorite people I've ever worked with and I'm proud to call you a friend. And I know that's going to last forever. Thanks, Jimmy. Cheers, Mikey. All the best, man. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.